0: Thank you all for coming. Sorry about the sound in this space. It is a very reflective environment. Can you hear up the back okay? Okay, great. Um, so welcome, everyone. My name is Madeline King. I'm Assistant Director here at the IMA and um, curator of this exhibition. Um, and we're here for an in-conversation with artist Ryan Presley as part of his exhibition, Prosperity, which is actually his first major solo show in a contemporary art space. Um, And I'd like to start by respectfully acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands where we gather tonight, the uh, Tirubal, Jagera, Jagera people, um, and elders, both past and present. So it is a real treat to have Ryan here to discuss the works that are around us. Um, which are from this Blood Money series that he's been producing since 2010 and has continued to build on, um, as well as an, a new work that you may have already engaged with in the FOIA, which is his Blood Money Currency um, Exchange Terminal. Um, but first, before we start discussing those works, by way of introduction, um, Dr Ryan Presley is based in Brisbane here, um, but he's originally from Alice Springs, He completed his PhD in 2016, um, and he's now undertaking a postdoctoral research project at Griffith University that actually stems from this work that's currently on show, and it's entitled Prosperity, an In-Depth Analysis of the Blood Money Series. He's shown work nationally and increasingly internationally, including the 33rd Telstra National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Awards. Uh, the Tarawara uh, Biennial in Less Circulation, and his participation in a roaming exhibition, Frontier Imaginaries, has seen his work presented here at the IMA, and then later at Jerusalem, and then um, Eflux Project Space in New York. And in fact, next week, this coming week. Yeah. He's traveling to the Netherlands to present work in the exhibition, um, a kind of later iteration of that same project, um, which is now called Trademarkings at the Van Aube Museum. That is very exciting. So um, maybe if we can start by talking about the, the works that are in um, this space, um, to give a bit of context, um, you are really, I think, the expert on the currency. I often can't even remember what is on our current banknotes. I've had to flip back to them multiple times throughout the, this project to um, recall who are these subjects. But um, you really know these, these banknotes back to front. You've dissected them. You've kind of reverse-engineered them in a way. So maybe if you could give us a bit of a background to um, what is currently on the Australian banknote. Um, who are the subjects that they represent, um, and w- what do they represent for you? Uh,
1: so you're talking about banknotes in circulation. Yes, the, um, yeah, the, the
0: ones produced by the Reserve Bank of Australia.
1: And just list who's on the. Well,
0: it. yeah, or maybe some highlights from. I mean, I have a list here if that helps. Yeah, yeah. So, five dollar note is the um, Queen Elizabeth, mm. um, and then on the ten dollar note, it's um, in from the literature world Dame Mary Gilmore. Um, also from that same world, Banjo Patterson on the other side. Uh, the $20 note is Mary Riby, who is a kind of convict and then um, businesswoman. Um, and on the other side, Reverend John Flynn, who was, I believe started the Royal Flying Doctors. Um, the $50 note is um, the only indigenous subject, which is David uniapon the famous um, inventor and writer. Uh, On the other side is the the politician, um, Edith Cohen. And on the $100 note is um, opera singer Dame Nellie Melba on one side. And on the other side is military figure, Sir John Monash. Yeah. So I guess your work has stemmed from an interest in who are these subjects and and what is it about their status that has elevated them to to take the place Mm. almost of a sovereign figure on the currency.
1: Yeah, um, so I remember starting to think about the series in 2009, end of 2009 um, when I graduated undergraduate studies at QCA and um, I was like looking after the student show, graduate show and I happened to have a, I think it was a $10 in my wallet and I was just like twirling it in my hand just sort of out of boredom and um, looking at all the different uh, patterns and insignia on there and uh, looking at the portraits and uh, not really that uh, much interest in who the people were or, like, reverence in who they were because, uh, to me, they were, like, barely recognisable. Um, I remember, uh, like, a man from Snow River playing in the Alice Springs Cinema on, like, repeats. Uh, when I was really young, going to the cinema. But apart from that, I couldn't really place Banjo-Patterson or uh, um, uh, Mary Gilmore. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I did think of was, like, um, the the poems, the the little segments uh, of quotes on there, like Mary Gilmore's um, uh, No Foe Shall Gather Our Harvest um, poem... uh, no foe shall sit on our stockyard rail, something like that. Um, so that was done around 1945 yeah. uh, in a real push to um, harden sort of nationalism in World War Two and, um, and a sort of uh, British war effort, yeah. Australian joint war effort. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really interesting thing to have written on a A sort of commonplace item that we all have some sort of contact with, on some sort of regular basis, and then thinking about the colours and the palette and like the the patternation didn't really strike me as something from like a European uh, canon or context or history. Like they are very vibrant and colourful for. Um, Banknotes generally um, the, the polymer ones are fairly unique in terms of world currencies mm. um, so I really I started thinking more about that and um, and, and looking I was, at the same time I was uh, becoming more and more interested in like uh, frontier conflict history as well um, because uh, growing up, like I remember, like sitting in school, and it just was there just wasn't anything like just wasn't anything uh, relatable in history. It was, it was all sort of uh, abstract. Um, Captain Cook landing, and then like uh, talking about uh, sheep herding, and and that was sort of the gist of, of, of the arc of the story. Um, and um, I just I was like, there's gonna be something more than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? Um, and so yeah, because um, I grew up as well, and, and people would talk about average people like not like common myths, like average people not resisting um, uh, 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 European occupation of the area or or. or, or or just, like, submitting to violence. And I'm like, that's inhuman to, like, have violence come upon you and, like, not do anything. And that's, like, a common um, uh, story. And it's, like, a a story that uh, I heard a lot of was told a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Either to... uh, Either in, like, educational format or to, like put me down or put uh, people around me down and and be less than. Mm. Um, So I was like, that can't be right. So, like, um, as I I got older and the different things I was exposed to, I came across, um, like, different, like, through oral histories and stuff and uh, then through different books and little segments of archives and things... Ah, oh, actually, there is quite a lot. There's like more and more uh, um, interesting situations and interesting people, and, and uh, people that really did like r- super amazing things in the in in the in the, um, in the way in, in the cultural pressure of the day, the colonial pressure of the day, to to do the things they did. Um, is, is phenomenal um and so I thought uh, the banknote stuff is like uh, money is so um regarded and uh western society's easy is recogni- like it's recognizable like we're inundated with the imagery um and it's the imagery is uh, basically i'd argue is basically always positive like it's always even if people don't know who's on the note, mm. like, it's always in a reverent sort of um, light. Mm.
0: Even if there are those undercurrents of Because mm. people say to me, oh, I don't or even or
1: know who's on the bank note, you know, like...
0: Mm.
1: I don't know what they're trying to say by saying that to me, but... Like, so they're yeah,
0: innocuous or yeah, something. Yeah, like,
1: it's, it doesn't matter, like... Mm. Um, But it it does matter. I think it really matters uh, who's portrayed there and all the decisions that are made uh, to to get to that point. Mm. Uh, Even if there's a general ignorance that is still the status quo, that is still um, indicative of where power lies in society.
0: So um, just going back to that point you were making about... um the, this kind of myth that there really wasn't a resistance to colonial forces coming in, and mm-hmm. um, that, um, and there are you know sort of describing these figures as uh, that are on the Australian banknote as being uh, part of the kind of Australian myth and representing a lot of those colonial narratives, including you know our participation in World War Two, uh, as well as you know convicts like I mentioned, um, Mary Ryby. Um so, there is a kind of unifying theme, in, I guess, in terms of how you selected your own subjects mm-hmm. for this Blood Money series, and that, that theme seems to be one of resistance, and people who you deem to be resistance leaders, either through um, direct combat or through um, cultural resistance, cultural mm-hmm. forms of resistance. Could you elaborate a bit on, on who those subjects are and, and how they kind of play into this um, theme of resistance?
1: Uh, So I I went with the initial premise uh, for for the older set, or the numbered set, um, of mirroring the people that are on the note with uh, people that, average people that contrasted or had similarities um, that were like silenced or or, um, not. communicated in the in same way of importance. Um, so, like, Mary Ryby, who uh, came to Australia, I believe, as a convict, um, but then soon gained uh, f- uh, freedom and uh, set up, like, a vast sort of shipping business and became really uh, wealthy and, um, and to the point of, of going, I think, uh, biographies describe her as like a waif like uh, a really slim and skinny mm-hmm. and then in later years she's like quite obese um,
0: that's certainly how she's depicted on the yeah, so, yeah. so, <laughs> a very flattering portrait um, that
1: one yeah. so that's sort of, I, I like that because it's like this sort of consumption mode and it's mm-hmm. the consumption of um, uh, settler state colonialism as well, um, mm-hmm. so then comparing her, her to to Walia from Tasmania on the 20. Um,
0: so that's this one over here, yeah.
1: Walia. Uh, as someone... Uh, so Mary Riby got the upshot of uh, colonial occupation, um, whereas Walia was, like, a direct... Uh, experience, basically, most of the negative facets. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so she was kidnapped by the... Sealing and whaling industry, so it's a large shipping industry um, in uh, around the waters of Tasmania, and uh, yeah, she was kidnapped, as was uh, really common practice to kidnap Aboriginal women, um, and they'd be basically be enslaved on the boat uh, to the boat full of men, um, as like. Um, um, concubines or sex slaves um, mm-hmm. uh, and, kept, and, and just treated horribly and tortured and all that sort of thing. Um, Wally is very interesting because um, she never submitted, uh, like mentally submitted um, uh, to, to the situation and um, she learnt English while she was uh, captured and the use of firearms, um, the flintlock pistols and and shotguns and rifles. Um, And so then she um, instigated uh, with other women uh, trapped on the boat um, to escape. And they escaped one night in 1828, I think it was. Um, Stole as much of the rations and supplies as they could and as much of the firearms as they could um, uh, and escaped uh, on like the dinghy or whatever lifeboat back to um, her mainland coastal area, and then trained um, remaining Aboriginal people there in the use of uh, firearms, and then for years on uh, would attack um, especially hostile um, pastoral stations and things. Um, so And interesting as well is the, they found that um, her, her troop or whatever would replace the flints in the, in the pistols. Um, so they'd manufacture their own um, flints after they'd worn out um, from their own quarries and keep the gun in working order for all that time.
0: Um, I mean, it's an incredible story, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and it seems like in the, the research... It, you've been doing, it. it's so many stories that are completely overlooked and certainly it wasn't part of my education, you know, in schools mm-hmm. and I'm sure not part of yours either. Um, but um, it seems like it's not an isolated case, I guess that's, that's what the series kind of brings to the fore is that there are so many stories like this that you've been... Um, Kind of working to maybe give a bit more prominence or make people a bit more aware of, mm. but maybe just to. Um, what's kind of interesting about that um, note is, it seems like that's very direct response to what the original the the original Australian banknote um, depicts on the twenty, um, and the same was um, the case for the the ten dollar series. So, and this is. Um, less about um that kind of combat but again resistance is really um important part of that story maybe if you could talk about that um one at the end there the the Vincent Lingiari note
1: yeah so like I mentioned before the man from Snow River and um sort of idealization of uh Stockman culture uh in, in Australia and um so, Man from Snow River is like a, a fiction, you know. Um, it's not based... It's like, if it is based, it's based loosely on the industry. No real um, definitive person or figure. Um, whereas, I think, Vincent Lingiari and the the Workers fit a more legitimate idealisation... Of the that, um...
0: the kind of myth of the stockman, yeah, yeah, which um... in the in Banjo Patterson's uh, 1890 or something poem, um, it's a white figure who is this kind of hero who is working mm. with um, the horses on the station, and so you're rounding
1: up wild horses or something. You say? That's right,
0: yeah. yeah. So. You're seeing this kind of correlation in Aboriginal history that mm. isn't in any way kind of um, addressed by Benjo Patterson, and, and mm. certainly not in the notes either. So maybe if you could describe that, the, how you kind of approach the story of the so it's depicting um, in part this, the the famous um, 66 Wave Hill walk off, mm. and and how you kind of use the the format of the note, um, the existing ten note to. To kind of lay out that story
1: yeah so i'd use the composition of the original notes as a as starting point so with wally with the shipping um banjo patterson with the with the man chasing down uh, brumbies but uh reworking this to to indicate uh, sort of uh, key events like the walk-off and then the success for the walk-off so i think What's most important about that note is that they were successful in their, in their uh, struggle or, or, or the situation they, um, they chose to confront and, they, and, and it, it, it worked. Um, and even throughout that process, like they faced death threats and after they walked off and camped by the, by the river, the special area of their own, they were like they had people come through at night and try and terrorise the camp, and um, all these things for years. Um, uh, and the the person who owned, uh, uh, like, had the uh, sort of colonial legal tenure, real estate uh, uh, property lease was uh, Lord Vestey, uh, who I think is the Queen's first cousin or a close cousin to the royal family so really they were striking and protesting and some of the most elite echelons of um, British society um, and uh, they still were able to, to come through it um, and um, I, think, I think that's a far more important uh, uh, story that could be depicted today like right Like tomorrow, it could be reprinted, um, Mm -hmm. and and is much more relevant, and is something that actually happened, and it involves like non-Aboriginal people as well. Like um, it involves like uh, uh, allies to get this across. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it is a it is a much more uplifting and uh, 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 accurate. Uh, thing to fix. so that's why I wanted to ch- chose that to take it out of the realm of the old poet and and, and make it something more real
0: mm-hmm. um, Maybe if we can talk about the, the process that you've been undertaking in terms of building this series since 2010 so uh, for this exhibition you've actually produced three new works which are these larger works over here on the green walls um, so the subjects are Dunderley, Fanny Cochrane-Smith, and at the back there is um, Bumbleway and, or as others know, Pemmelway. Um, what uh, may not be completely obvious is that the, the Dundalee node actually revisits a note that you worked on um, some years previous, which is just sitting behind you there, which is the $100 yeah. note um, Dundalee commemorative. Um, so maybe it, can you explain what it is about this series that's kept you not only kind of reworking this the format of the note but also revisiting these kind of earlier works that you've made and, and you've got this $100 note over here and then it becomes this infinite dollar note.
1: Uh, yeah, so the note behind me is the first one I did, the first like, complete version in early 2010, and so I was still working out the format and if it would, like, visually work or uh, if, like, if I could, like, manage it um, and, and working out, like, how, do you, how to use watercolour with it and, um, and just figuring out the composition issues and stuff. Um, so you gave me a long question. I can't remember <laughs> Sorry. it all, but... There's um. <laughs> a barrel of <laughs> yeah. uh, so,
0: so. Uh, um, so you're working through the process and then you've um, decided to revisit a work that yeah. you made previously in a, yeah, in a different yeah, right. format.
1: Yeah, so uh, because it was the first one, I did it when I was, like, 22 or 23, um, nearly nine, nine, eight or nine years ago, um, and it had been shown and, like, it's in the Griffith Collection and it gets shown from time to time. I'm like, oh, I don't really like seeing <laughs> it again. It's a bit old. Um, and I've just been working, I've been working, like, um, uh, all through that period on different uh, um, works and um Like I think my skills improved over time, and then the the way I sort of got to the end at 2012, um, and I sort of developed a different way of uh, um, processing the the patterns and things. Mm.
0: Um, Which could you could you actually take us through that? No, (laughs) 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 the look of distress. (laughs) <laughs> make you do, do anything. Well, I mean, either. in the
1: first ones, I was just like, yeah, that sort of looks like the pattern. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and just approximate it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas these, the newer ones, I, I went to a much more prolonged effort to replicate them. Uh, if not exactly, then very close. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still using watercolour pigments and paint pigments, so like, they look different from the. Screen printed uh, colors and that, Um, and and just yeah, like developing the process over time. So it got to a point where I was like, ah, I I feel a bit, I feel ready to to have another go at some of the early ones and uh, review them. And um, over the years as well, because it's been quite a a span of time, Um, I've come across like other bits and pieces of information and different ideas, and then like sometimes books, like with Dundalee a book was released and um, Museum of Brisbane provided me with some more uh, archival resources because they commissioned me to do a smaller painting of it Mm. um, last year, a year before. Um, And so with Dundalee, like, uh, there was some really interesting things about, like his appearance and um, his biography that Mm. I wanted to... Reinclude and made, made him more uh, shaped as an individual, as a person uh, interacting in, in the society he was.
0: I mean, uh, yeah, so maybe we can come back to the the process of um, choosing the works, but maybe going through the process of researching the subjects, because I think that as well is fascinating and has involved, um, well, you know, close to a decade of your own research, which has brought together a lot of different source material and primary research methods. Um, and um, maybe you could actually just describe some of Thunderley's story for those who aren't familiar with him and his significance here in. Um, Queensland southeast Queensland um, and what you discovered um, later on through the, the process that you know the, the new information that you got through Museum at Brisbane
1: um, so his, uh, his story so, mm. um, so he was in the like um, press at the time in the in the uh, settler town of Brisbane um, yeah, colonial sort of encampments and stuff. He was regarded as like this sort of um, monster, like uh, like, like the terrorist, idea of a terrorist now. Mm. Um, um, but uh, he was seen as
0: physically big.
1: Yeah, and he, and he was like tall, even by uh, local standards, I think he was about seven foot. Um, mm. And even though he was relatively young, he, he'd... Um, He'd reached a level of esteem within his own uh, um, sort of um, community and, and um, society. And so he was entrusted with, like, overseeing different, like, uh, ceremonial uh, engagements. And one of these was um, retaliations um, uh, and, like, breaking of law within, like, Aboriginal people and like that's the thing it didn't Aboriginal like uh, um, cultural processes didn't uh, uh, purposely not include like um, European arrivals so if people uh, had done something considered um, illegal or heinous or whatever it was um, Europeans were considered under that umbrella so like um and it was only over time, which is probably another tangent, but it was only on, <laughs> over time that that wasn't as much so. And that's because of violence, but that's sort of another uh, idea. Um, so he would retaliate or be in charge of the retaliations against the massacres that happened on the north side of Brisbane, uh, particularly to his, to his own uh, relatives. Uh, so there was a major... On the little farmhouse in the note there's, that says Kilcoy. Um, so there was a major uh, poisoning, uh, intentional poisoning um, of Aboriginal people there.
0: And it was um, done through um, flour, I understand, lacing um, supplies of flour. For mm. People um, who would eat it would get poisoned with, I think, strychnine or arsenic or something yeah, like so that.
1: Yeah, so there's quite common methods of like poisoning flour or putting smallpox in blankets or poisoning water sources. Mm. Um, So I think, yeah, that one was was flour. Um, But, yeah, it killed, like, hundreds of men, women and children. Um, And so then the sort of elder people of the area that were still alive had the task of deliberating who to punish for doing that and and deciding and uh, uh, sourcing who had done that? So, commonly, they'd only pick like one or two people that they could have the best guess of that was responsible or very connected with uh, who was responsible for doing it. And then there was this also this idea of fairness as well. Um, so, because uh, there were strict processes for retaliation, um, and. Dundalee's case because uh, like a scout or like an envoy would, would go out and warn the one or two people who had been chosen to be punished that something was going to happen to them. Um, and then two people would be sent to spear two people. Um, and then Dundley was often on site in the multiple times this happened to, to see that everything went according to uh, what was set out um, as uh, necessary and just um, yeah, so his his uh, depiction in like the press and that of like this like mindless sort of killer terrorist sort of idea monster mon- monstrous figure w- wasn 't really accurate because he was present in these things uh, to oversee that they were done you know. Um, he was We've tapped, a, a yeah. Just yeah. Manner. Uh, with with mm-hmm. some finesse and not overdone, you know. Yeah. Um, so then there's there's different uh, stages in his life as well. So he he copped a lot of heat as well for doing for being involved in these uh, relatively minor retaliations, considering that hundreds of people were being uh, killed. Um, so he lived part of his life in a type of exile around Bribie Island um, and there he, he was involved in running a fishing crew um, that caught seasonal um, migratory fish um, and then selling them, he was involved in selling them to like settlers in the area, like more friendly uh, Europeans in the area. And so, so that's
0: what's depicted with the, the Boat, the boat over there, the and the, the fish and, underneath, mm. the mullet or whatever it was
1: caught. Yeah, and different, and like the coins as well on the on the right side there. Um, so it's like interacting with different cultural norms as well of like because uh, they had coinage as well. There. Um, so I I just think that fleshes him out more as like a real person mm-hmm. um, than like a two dimensional. Um, or vague uh, sort of uh, historical blip when he really has, like, much more um, uh, importance or there's, possibly, there's a possibility to gain much more from, from his story, I think.
2: Mm.
0: And he was um, active around um, Brisbane but also other parts mm. around kind of um, Black Hole... Ranges so yeah the he's same. from Black
1: Hole Rangers and, and, and when he was captured he, was captured he was captured in it? Fortitude Valley um, logging he worked as uh, an assistant for like a logging enterprise as well so he had these really long dreadlocks um, which was the cultural custom to have these really well manicured long dreadlocks that would be shaped um, very important Sort of gatherings and stuff, but he wore them, and that was part, uh, of, uh, and it's sort of important part of his story as well. Um, and leading up to his death, uh, he was actually ambushed while working, uh, chopping trees, um, and pulled because he was tall and uh, of great sort of athletic stature. He was pulled to the ground by his hair. Um, and then when he was imprisoned, they shaved his head, they cut all his hair off. And it was like a, a humiliation sort of procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I wanted to depict him with short hair, which is like the one sort of drawing uh, of, of him in his lifetime is like this really terrible court illustration drawing. So I wanted to illustrate him too with like, um, hair that would be closer to
2: mm.
1: his appearance mm. yeah.
0: and then you have um, some text in the Dala language um, in the bottom, can you explain what that is?
1: Uh, so it's like a approximation that was done afterwards after his death because he was, he was publicly hung um, in uh, post office square mm. in the city um, uh, which is quite a gruesome part of, of his story as well but uh, he had like the last words um, before uh, he was killed um, so those are his last words an, uh, a latter a uh, recording of his last words mm. which was basically along the lines of saying that his death was un- unjust like um, he didn't deserve to be killed in, in this way and the people that are responsible should be punished for this mm. um so it really sort of shows his character, I think, and the things that he was important in, in, in maintaining um, some sort of say in what happened, like a, a righteous sort of say and autonomy. Um,
0: yeah. And a, a quite different figure is uh, beside him, Fanny Cochrane Smith. Um, Again, that's a um, a work you completed um, very, very recently, um, earlier this year. Um, She is um, remembered for very different reasons in a very different light and I think some of that um, cultural significance is is quite well rendered in the work. Can you explain a bit more about her story and and how she's remembered?
1: Yeah, so I've used the $100 um, template on these two notes and um on the hundred dollar there's uh Monash, the sort of military figure, and then on the the, the other side is uh Dame Nellie Melba who was like a famous opera singer uh, of her time um so what's interesting about Fanny Cochrane Smith is that she was uh, uh, born on Flinders Island, which is basically a uh offshore camp, uh, open-air concentration camp that was used to segregate all Aboriginal people, surviving Aboriginal people from from Tasmania onto this northern island. Um, So she was born there and uh, was then forced into servitude uh, back on the mainland for... I can't remember his name. um, Some rich old man... And he would like torment her and beat her and um, just treat really horribly. Um, But uh, she was—it was outlawed at the time to speak her her language and um, to practice like um, cultural activities and those sort of things. Um, But she was taught in secret. um, uh, And as she sort of uh, was able to leave her sort of indentured uh, servitude um, she got a really uh, um, big reputation for um, being uh, having a really beautiful sw- singing voice and um, would often be asked to perform concerts uh, around Tasmania uh, in both in English and um, her mother tongue um, So, over the course of her life, in her later years, um, she's the only Aboriginal woman to have the language recorded. So, they were recorded on the old Edison wax gramophone, or parlophones. Um, And she made, uh, I think, eight cylinders of recordings. and just last year, the reason I, I, I was particularly interested in depicting her is um, early last year, the UNESCO uh, World Heritage um,
0: Memory or something, is it? Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, inducted these recordings and, and in, into their, into their um, collection and digitized them and everything. Um, so her legacy from this is that um, surviving Aboriginal people today have been able to um, reference these recordings and helped uh, reconstruct their, uh, their language. And um, uh, so I just thought that was, a, like, a really mm. amazing a- a- accomplishment and... Uh,
0: and an example of the continuation of culture, I suppose, yeah. and um, and I guess you've kind of pulled out other aspects, not just the, like that momentous recording, which is mm. incredible, but also some of those um, cultural traditions that she was really instrumental in, mm. in passing on to, to other generations, like her beautiful um, seashell necklace, that's yeah. something you can see yeah. as well in the, the Truganini work that's ar- around the other side of that wall. Um, and some of the the beautiful weaving, which is the, forms the pattern behind her.
1: Yes, I've referenced like uh, the basket weaving from uh, from the island, and uh, her teaching uh, her descendants like collecting shellfish, and that. So I've put the oysters in, um, and also her life of labour, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so much. Uh, Aboriginal labour has gone into um, um, the Australian history in the past Mm. two centuries and she was no different, Um, she'd have to uh, cut wood and then walk like I think 50 miles to take it in, um, Mm. uh, to sell it and then go back and so on and Mm. again and again. Um, So really hard lives Mm. uh, and quite harrowing experiences, but still being able to contribute something, um, like, Mm. so beautiful.
0: Mm. Um, And just briefly to return to that process, so you had the experience to um, visit the Reserve Bank Museum in Sydney, um, which was quite a strange experience, I think, for you because these are works that have been um, you know, almost accused of being um, kind of forgery or something yeah. in the past and, and the Reserve Bank Museum really kind of um, embraced you and yeah. were very keen to show you around and um, tell you a bit more about the, the process of how the Reserve Bank's um, Australian banknotes are produced. And developed conceptually, and um, and one thing that they shared with you was the the current twenty dollar note, and I, um, and they said that this was the first time anyone had seen these sort of developmental drawings. And what I found fascinating about that was that I really could not discern any difference between the way that the official banknotes had been constructed um, compared to the process that you had been. Undertaking. So, can you describe what that that process is, in terms of the the research, and then kind of layering those motifs and imagery, all that sort of thing?
1: Uh, yeah. So they let me see all the working for a note that's still in circulation because they're reprinting a lot of them with the the. Um, The new security detail kind of thing. Transparent features. But the 20 won't be done for another few years or something. So the patterns we saw are still very much active, I guess. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was funny to see because the way they'd broken them up and and, uh, chosen selected symbols to correlate with the the people's representation of their achievements or their lives... Mm were almost exactly the way i'd ended up reverse engineering the works, so they'd used like biographies and um and tests of sketching and collage and um uh Developing symbols and then colouring the symbols and filling the symbols, unfilling the symbols, seeing how the different variations worked.
0: And one was identical to remember you were showing me, was it for that for the Bamblewoyan work, you'd experimented with mm. um, you know that that's what is kind of traditionally the security feature over on the um, right that where it would be a transparency in the the actual polymer banknote. Mm. And you tried these different versions with in filling some of the detail and then making it just the outline etc as you're describing mm. and it was just bizarre to see this exact same process yeah. that had been undertaken for the $20 note yeah. it was the same kind of approach essentially
1: yeah it felt good yeah. <laughs> good. <laughs> good to see that I was like oh on yeah. the right track um, yeah uh, so yeah it it I was like, wow. And of course, like, Mm. basically it's a team of artists putting these together and then a managerial committee come and say yes and no and put their um, input in and Mm. it goes on a different tangent. So it's essentially the same process, but I'm just doing it... Um, you know, one person doing it mm, rather than a team of people yeah, the team, yeah.
0: and you don't have anyone coming and telling you that you know your year's worth of work has been scratched because actually there's a new <laughs> yeah. figure on the bill no, and... <laughs> it's getting done, it's getting showed <laughs> yeah. um, so maybe to move on now to the um, to the other new component, so there's these three new um, watercolours but there's this new currency exchange terminal um, in the, the gallery shop um where you can convert Australian dollars for blood money currency. So what made you want to take this work a bit a step further, I suppose, to actually start trading your own currency?
2: Mm.
1: Uh probably a few things. Um uh, because I've been working with iconography for so long, um and then just sort of questioning um, ideas around like art in society and if it really, if there's any chance that it like changes people's minds or like makes a real impact or if people are already primed to want something and then like they see something and it, it sort of agrees with them and they, they've already chosen to develop that aspect of their thinking, you know. Um, so I saw and which may still be a part of the, the booth, but I saw an opportunity to make prints uh, of these works. They're effectively
0: editions, aren't they? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah to make editions mm. yeah, for Tarawara two years ago because um, their thing was like endless circulation mm. and I'd had all these adhesives left over from a sort of a public sculptural installation from two years before that.
0: That was UQ courting blackness. That, that was yes, in yeah, the, yeah. the um, mm. forecourt kind of area. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Fiona great court. Foley, mm.
1: uh, project. And um, so I had this idea to make different exchange rates for the different notes so people could choose and, and basically um, pay, like, uh, a lower undercutting amount or, or, or an, equ- an equality sort of rate where it was, like, 10 for 10, 20 for 20. Um, but they were, they were just basically ad, adhesive stickers. Mm. Um, but it printed well and, and looked, like, obviously very similar to money. Um, and then using whatever uh, sort of cash came through the till to, to give to, like, a worthwhile like, community orga- organisation. So, like, that the work could have some real world... Or I, I could at least think of the work having a real world effect mm-hmm. um so that that's why i was thinking about doing the cash exchange um because like the works have been fairly popular since i i, I did them um but they got like sold once and like as we've had with this show like trouble trying to find them back again for like public collection from private collections um so i saw like a prince as a, a as a good vehicle to contribute like...
0: To keep the works in circulation in a way. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. and to
1: have like, yeah, like I said, the real world uh, input.
0: So in this context though, the exchange rate is just fluctuating all the time Mm -hmm. and um, I think uh, one thing you'll notice if you come back over the course of the, the exhibition is that Blood money dollar is always strong against the Australian dollar. <laughs> um so So earlier today, and I think it may have changed since, um, the Australian dollar bought only 61 um, blood money cents. Um, and I'm wondering if we're ever going to see the Australian dollar perform strongly against blood money or if <laughs> blood money is always stronger. Yeah.
1: It will never slump. It will never slump below, <laughs> <laughs> below parity. It comes close to parity, but never below. Um, and that was one of my main ideas with, because I did the work at Tarawara and you could undercut the the, the, the rate, like you could pay five for ten or whatever. Um, and I was like, why, why choose to do that myself? Like, why give... The audience the option to do that, like society does that already, <laughs> like at least in this sort of uh, uh, idealistic work, um, uh, they could have, they could be the genuine article, like they could be uh, worth more uh, in their home location um, than the, the, the state construct. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, people have talked about, oh, you're counterfeiting. Like, um, I'd say no. Like, this is a genuine article. This is a real thing. Like, this is worth more than um, this mass-produced um, uh, Reserve Bank government initiative. So you know,
0: you know better off buying a blood money dollar and trying to take it to the store because you've you've lost money in the process, effectively.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, um, maybe that's a good point to um, open it to the floor for any questions you might have about these works.
1: Brian, I'm gonna probe your last question a little further because I'm genuinely curious. Um, When people were given the option to undercut and presumably knowing the politics that stand behind the histories, the idea of sovereignty, etc. Did people really
2: take it upon themselves to undercut the currency?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it wasn't as common as the other option. Another, the most popular option was to go for the equality rate, but only by the 10. Oh, I only buy 20, like 50 and 108, that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll do the quality as long as there's like early 10 is cheap. Um.
0: And I think that's really fascinating in, in terms of the, the kind of correlation between the the value of these works mm. in the, the world of the, the currency exchange versus the kind of art market value is mm. one edition is, you know, at one point worth say, $16, and another edition is worth $160. That's the, the $10 note versus the $100 note. And so there's this huge discrepancy in value between, you know, if you were to, to value the works, so you might look at um, the size of the works, the, the provenance, the, you know, the significance to your practice, etc., etc. But here it's a whole other system of value, which mm-hmm. is really the numerical value that's put on those, those notes.
1: Yeah, so one thing I'm going to do too because that's sort of happening with this one as well is um the 10s and the 20s will be a much higher edition than the 50s and the 100s it should be a much lower uh, rarer edition. Um so yeah, it's playing with ideas of of um with the power and um mm-hmm. uh, social access but also with the art market and art as being essentially a playground for the rich predominantly um, and like not a regulated industry um, yeah so playing with the ideas of value because yeah. mm. I think that's what people might miss as well is like I got a few comments on opening ah. Oh, 10 should be worth 10. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, 20 should be worth 20. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> I, I know, but I think re- in, in reality, like, uh, they're high-resolution high archival photographic prints and the I mean, limited a bargain. edition. Uh, so really, like in terms of art, yeah. like, sure. it it's very cheap like, to get something like that. Mm. And even to get the whole set, which mm-hmm. seems like a lot, mm. but I think in the scheme of things, like it could it could end up wor- like being a good investment, a Bitcoin-style investment. <laughs> 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 but um, uh,
0: I just yeah. remind everyone that the um, exchange is open tonight, so yeah. don't miss out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you, everyone, for the talking. Uh, it's just amazing reading the backgrounds. I was just reading them now uh, when I arrived. Um, and, yeah, it was good to hear the other story, because I, I come from New Zealand, and so I've been sort of continually shocked. Um, each year I've been here just learning more and more, actually by just going to art exhibitions um, mm-hmm. by other artists like yourself, just learning the real history. Um, it's so different from New Zealand, you know, because um, yeah. we had the Waitangi, you know, Treaty of Waitangi, for example, but there mm-hmm. was brutality there. We had the Maryland Wars and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, and I guess maybe the history behind that was, you know, it, it shouldn't be that way, but, but the tribes were more kind of hostile with each other, and they'd, they'd raid each other, that kind of thing, quite different from the Aboriginal nation states, I, I understand. But but it's not all as simple as I, as I thought, you know, the reasoning behind it all. And um, that's why it's encouraging to hear the actual stories, and that's the story of uh, Wallya over there, you know, that's an amazing story. I like that should be made into a movie or something.
1: <laughs> I know, a lot of these are like yeah. movie scripts. Yeah. like, yeah. like mm. Easily, mm. I mean, <laughs> I'd be very precious about like, being turned to Hollywood movies. I don't know no. what sort of yeah. distortions would happen, mm. but they are really sort of dramatic mm. and yes. the fact that they're true, mm. it's like, oh my God.
2: Like, mm. yeah. So um, my, my one question that I had was, like, when you're actually there at the Reserve Bank and with the conversations that sort of transpired, yeah. did anybody there actually kind of broach the subject of Possibly, actually, you know, having banknotes with these key figures on the banknotes, you know, or is it just sort of something? Just a bit of curiosity, but no, thank you. We want, we want to keep continuing to sanitize our history. Yeah, sort
1: of I, I think it's more in the latter, um, <laughs> and, and it's just what it's like. That's what happens when committees are involved and uh, people have different stakes in things. Um, so I don't think. Yeah, I don't think... In our political climate as well, I don't think that would happen. It'd be great. I'd love it. I think that would be wonderful. I would for sure, like, love to be involved in something like that because I think that sort of representation is really important. Um, Whether it's likely now, no. Um, We sort of got to it around and they tell us, like, uh, some of the things they do is by or like commission like remote desert painters to do a small painting Mm. and they'd like take elements of the pattern and then put it on the nose. So there's that sort of input which is a bit borderline unethical. Um,
0: And there was another note in development that depicted, uh, you know, because we have only one Indigenous figure but there was another Yirrwala, I think it was, and they just got... And it just Ditched got at some point. Yeah. But I mean, they couldn't tell us why. I'm not sure mm. if they even knew what happened. Mm. I mean, I don't think it's unusual for them to develop a note with the subject and mm. then abandon it. But I mean it was certainly interesting to see that yeah. they had the intention at some point and it, it did get dropped.
1: Mm. Yeah. I, I, maybe with like more if the like places like the War Memorial and that become more open to these histories, like There is some slight change. I don't know how much that will budge, but um, if there's big institutions like that that start to change, there might be some leeway, hypothetically, but I don't really... Unfortunately, I don't see that happen in the near future. Yeah. Uh Yeah that's that's a common occurrence yeah <laughs> that's not isolated mm.
2: Need a microphone for poopless questions. You chose not to have a five dollar note and yeah. for poor people. <laughs> um, yeah. well, was that a deliberate attempt? And, and did, you consider, did you consider that we have a history of the one and two dollar notes that did have for a time Aboriginal mm. motives, etc.? Yes, them?
1: yes, I'm very well familiar with yeah, I'm uh, sorry, well, the Yeah, uh, name. and that's
2: did you consider when you were doing it that you were sometimes replacing one suppressed or oppressed group with another, like the, pr- replacing convicts and Irish and, and other people who are, you know, not here by, yeah, not here by choice. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the basis. Of it. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I was suppressed uh, temporarily. I think they were much more open. Uh, The ladder was much more accessible to climb for those groups. Like uh, for the convicts, for example, well-behaved convicts could be inducted into the New South Wales Corps, so the police force, the um, military. Um, And these were very sort of powerful positions within the colonial establishment. So, like Mayor Iber, for example, is a convict, but then soon gained freedom uh, and became...
0: uh, Had a small ..stupidly wealthy, you know?
1: Um, So, in terms of them being oppressed, uh, I don't really have as much empathy for that position. Um, I'm not saying their lives were great, but I think they had much more opportunities available to them. Um, So, replacing them is not really on my radar as being a problem. Um... I think the ongoing legacies that are still, like, really heavily affecting um, Aboriginal communities today uh, speak to our access to the ladder, our whole swath of assets have been forcefully taken from us, um, from most communities, you know. I suppose
0: there's also... um that, you know, that the, these polymer notes were produced in the 90s and we were just talking before about how there was that, that sort of moment where our convict history was something that used to be very much kind of buried. If you had a convict in your ancestry, you wouldn't tell anyone. It was this kind of dark secret, but then it, it flipped mm. and it became part of this celebrated national identity that, you know, it was, these were the underdogs, these were kind of the, mm. our colonial heroes, I mm. suppose. It's a very different... Um, the, the reason that they become on the banknotes is, is partly because they've become part of a celebrated um, facet of our national identity. Hmm. But going um. back to the $5 note, that, that is an um, omission.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is an omission. Um, I wasn't sure how to approach... Because uh, I started with the numbered series first. I wasn't sure how to approach, like, a queen figure like a monarch um, and how to do that comparatively in an effective way so I just left it out Um, and I thought that was more of a statement at the time than than pushing to do that Um, but now um, since I'm doing the infinite works I think it's sort of fertile ground to um start looking at that figure head uh, and looking at those designs and, and relevant stories that might be able to um, sort of um, redefine that position in some way yeah
0: but it it may end up being part of the currency exchange that's the highest value by the money dollar yeah, we don't yeah know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um.
0: okay well look uh, oh, another question is this a complete collection or is it a good question no there, there's
1: there's three of the original numbered ones not here uh, and I don't know where they are um, we couldn't get access to them Um. but like the new ones are what I've done in the time available so far and since this is like an ongoing project um, as part of the postdoctoral thing um, that I'm doing I think there will inevitably be more um, as part of my research with that and the the written element Mm. um, contributing to the written element and imagery.
2: Mm.
0: Um, So this, uh, the new works and the currency exchange terminal will be um, presented again later this year at Melbourne Art Week, which I think will be a really fascinating context in an art fair to have the currency exchange happening. And um, at that time, we'll be launching a new publication around these works, which will be a great opportunity again. So keep an eye out for that if you're interested in these histories and the process and ideas um, in this series that will be the, the main focus of that publication so please um, thank you all for coming again and please join me in congratulating Ryan Presley.